Hello and welcome to Planting the Seed, our short series of behind-the-scenes and extra-content episodes to accompany our new audio drama Seeds, which is inspired by the amazing true story of the world's first seed bank. My name is Nicholas Pitt, the artistic director of No Stone Theatre who made the series, and today I will be talking with Kate Cooper of the Birmingham Food Council, who has been a source of fascinating insights to our food system and stories that helped develop the show. I will let Kate explain in more detail about her and the BFC's work, but our conversation touches on everything from the challenges of supplying large populations with the food that they need to the impact that can have on our environment and also the pressure points that the global pandemic has exposed. If we'll kick off, if you could just say who you are and uh, what it is you do and maybe a bit of background to the Birmingham Food Council. Okay, Um, my name is Kate Cooper and um, I'm an executive director of the Birmingham Food Council, uh, which I spend much of my time doing. And the Food Council was set up in 2014 at the request of Um, Birmingham Public Health, which was then part of the NHS, um, to be completely independent of anybody, any other organisation, to be like a critical friend, if you like. Um, And we set it up as a kick, as I say, in 2014. And we've done various things trying to work out what our role could be. Given the fact that we're so small, there isn't a lot we can do, so therefore we focus our efforts where other people don't. And they are basically... Um, food safety, assurance and integrity, um, food and the economy, which believe it or not, few people look at, which is bizarre, but they don't. And really since about 2016, we've looked at food, the risks and threats to our food system, i.e. food security, um, and how we can make the UK better prepared for future um, food system shocks. Um, and we were not well prepared for COVID-19. And actually, COVID, compared to some of the other threats to our food system, is actually fairly minor disruption, or should have been a fairly minor disruption. The fact that it wasn't was a comment on the fact that we weren't prepared for it. It wasn't very severe, but we weren't prepared. And really, you need it, it, it's a matrix generally speaking when you're facing a threat you look at the impact against the probability and actually maybe a better matrix to look at is the severity of the threat and the preparedness of it and the severity of this threat wasn't huge and yet we were very unprepared for it and as a consequence of course we've had one in four adults um, had to go hungry at some point or other shockingly about half our children and everybody's had a, a torrid time of it and etc. So the purpose of what you're doing at BFC is is essentially is it sort of looking at how to feed a city like Birmingham into the future? Is that like a fair summary or that's the mission? Um it would be if there, if Birmingham had a, a kind of finite limited to Birmingham kind of food system, but we don't. Um in effect, what we have is um, a global food system. And and it doesn't matter what a city is. A city has to import food. Cities aren't about, don't feed bodies, they feed minds. So, so we have to import, every city imports food. And the fact that the, that the UK imports 40, sometimes 50% of its food, and a substantial proportion of its fruit and vegetables, especially in winter, um, 
that poses all sorts of issues for the country. And we're just part of it. We're a typical part of it. 85% of people in the UK live in urban areas. Well, you know, there's no way that you can say, well, actually, Birmingham's going to be like this and London's going to be like this and West Bromwich is going to be like this. It's not how it operates. Sure. Um, and But that's 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 the sort of crux of it, isn't it? So that, you know, living in big, densely populated urban areas means that for us all to have enough food to eat and, and our sustenance, nutrition, that obviously puts that what's what's required to do that is like quite quite a huge series of complex systems. Um, yes, indeed, that's that's so. I'm, I'm always a bit wary of using the word complex because people use it as an excuse not to do anything. And actually, it's complex in the mathematical sense. It's complex. And mm. any complex system has emergent things happen, which are comparatively simple. And I think people just get baffled by the complexity. They say things like, we've got to simplify it. And you sort of think, mm, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, but people don't really understand the food system. And one of the reasons why is because it's opaque. You know, you can't see into the middle of a complex system. So and then you have, you know, you can have minor perturbations that have an enormous impact. So COVID had an enormous impact, not because of it's a microbe. The microbe didn't do it. What did it was lockdown. Mm. And and people were surprised that it affected the food system, which was surprising. but a good a good way an analogy you've always said to me which is a useful way of it because i think part of the reason is that it's it it, because it's so effective the food system that we have in in the uk that you know we all are very familiar with going to the shops and there being until like you mentioned in lockdown where we had for the first time in many people's lives confronted with you know sort of like empty shelves and this this idea that suddenly that you know there was um what appeared to be shortages although i know that we would talk about what that was in real detail but there's but it, but that sort of started to make people maybe consider just the scale of this and you always said to me that interesting thing about having an apple a day yes and i wonder if i wonder if you could tell that story or mention talk, talk, talk me through that again that would be really good well i'm not quite sure i know i know the numbers off the top of my head <laughs> i have to calculate them each time i each time i tell this story we have this saying that you know everybody should eat an apple a day to keep the doctor away and if you think of uh, the United Kingdom, let's say there's 66 million of us who eat apple a day. I'm, I'm assuming about three quarters of a million of us are babies and are eating something else. But 66 million people eating an apple a day is, ooh, 66 million apples a day. And multiply by seven and you get per week and you multiply by 365. And I can't remember, it's, it's well over 120 billion apples a year you need to have. You know, that's 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 not going to happen by somebody having an apple tree on their allotment. It just isn't. Um, mm. And I think as well that if you think of it as well in terms of calories, the average person in the world requires 2000 calories a day. We actually consume about three and a half thousand. But that's a different story. And that's not overeating. That's a, a sign of malnutrition. Um, we eat 2,000 calories a day. We should do. That's what we require. Um, here in Birmingham, there's 1.2 million of us, so that's 2.4 billion calories a day. I mean, it's a lot of calories. It's a lot of calories. Mm-hmm. And people don't. People have. Uh, they kind of think in terms of farms and growing food, and they think in terms of supermarket shelves. 
but actually most of the value and most of the activity is actually between the farm gate and the retail. And that's the really interesting bit. It's the bit where things happen. And then you suddenly get people not understanding how those systems work, even though they can be in quite senior positions. I'll give you an example. Um, I realised that with somebody who's actually looking at food resilience for the West Midlands, and I just said to him, well, you you do realise fundamentally there's about three different supply chains. In in principle, there's three different supply chains. And he went, what? No, there's only one. I said, no, 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 no. There's three supply chains uh, uh, affecting us. One, and and you can understand this from when flour disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can understand why the shelves went if you understand there are three systems. There's one that goes to the major retailers, the supermarkets. There's one that goes to hospitality, so that's catering, that's everything from school dinners to to restaurants. And then there's a a third one which goes to corner shops and the smaller outlets. So you had this, people found it amazing that you you couldn't buy flour, for example, because everyone decided they wanted to make their own bread and make their own pizzas. You couldn't get flour from the supermarkets, but the corner shop, 200 yards away, had flour. Well, the reason why is because there were different supply systems. What we were told at the time of the, you know, in some senses, panic buying, in other senses was people... No, it was... No, 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 no. There was... Never panic buying. There was never... Don't use the word panic buying. It it virtually didn't exist. There were a few people that bought an awful lot. Right. But it was... um, Kantar figures suggest it was about 5% of people households bought more considerably more food than they would have done uh, and, and why did they do that well one might quite well be that you know they were buying for two or three families you know think of elderly parents or something mm-hmm. another might mean well they were actually stockpiling possibly foolishly or possibly not uh, and the third one was um, maybe they were profiteering mm-hmm. but there were very few of us behaved like that what most people did is they bought a little bit more than they would do. And instead of shopping several times a week, they shopped once a week or once every 10 days. And that causes huge disruption to a just-in-time efficient system, which is the one we've got. And the problem with the just-in-time efficient system is that there's no slack in it. Mm-hmm. And if something disrupts it, you know, I don't know, aeroplane lands on the motorway, or, you know, there's a fire in, in some big depot, supermarket depot, or COVID, you know, a minor thing like that causes mayhem, can cause mayhem across the whole system. And, and on top of that, of course, what we had um, with lockdown overnight, we had the hospitality sector closed down, which is just under 50% by value, and it's about 30% of our calories, suddenly we're no longer around. So you had to buy more from the supermarket because you weren't buying that sandwich for your lunch and you weren't going out to supper with somebody in a restaurant. You were, you had to do it by yourself. So no, there was no panic buying. That's a, No that's panic a, buying. Well, virtually good. no panic buying. And I just, it's a nice story and people say it and people like saying it, but actually it's a non-story. It's fake 
Then I can use the expression fake news. You, you're allowed to, yeah. And you mentioned already, so like the system is very fragile and, you know, what could be seen as a small interruption, whether it be a fire in a warehouse, which is particularly relevant for the show, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or if it's, uh, or if it's you know, something like a global pandemic, which obviously is a major event, but then didn't necessarily need to disrupt the system as much as it did. There is an in- intersection, obviously, between food security and providing food for the population and obviously the environment and nature and biodiversity and conservation. Some of the problems with the Green Revolution in terms of being able to increase the amount of food that we make has obviously led to, we now understand, quite bad damage to the environment and to our climate. Where do those kind of conversations and issues intersect with the with the apple a day issue of trying to get all this stuff in the right place at the right time to the right people? Well, interestingly enough, um, I don't think it, it... Well, one is that the moment you get a very large population of any animal, you know, us or slime mold or mice or whatever it is, whenever you get a population explosion, you know, we are the epidemic. Um, Whenever you get a population explosion, you get issues with environmental damage because they eat their way out of a niche. One of the issues that I, there's lots of things we can do. One of the things i think it is a it's a major ethical challenge everybody bangs on about how we've got to eat less and i'm going no i don't think we've just got to eat differently and as you know roughly 50 percent of by value of household food spend is on what are known as the drug foods which are on basically confectionery crisp which are designed to be moorish they do have a drug effect on you confectionery savoury snacks such as crisps, drinks, not milk, because that's got nutritious value, but, you know, all these fizzy drinks and all that lot, and all uh, alcohol too in, in quantity. All of these things are bad for you in quantity, and yet we don't treat them in the same way that we treat, shall we say, um, well, let me let me put it slightly differently. We don't treat people with diet-related morbidities in the same way that we treat a smoker who has lung cancer. We don't blame a smoker for lung cancer. We say, you've got an addiction, we'll help you. And they take action against the corporations, the tobacco corporations, in three ways. They forbid university research. They forbid sponsorship and promotion and advertising. And they put an excise duty on the product. So they become much more expensive. Now, we've got a little bit of that with booze, but we haven't got it with the other drug foods. We don't have it with confectionery. We don't have it with crisps. And yet, actually, in terms of the environmental damage that these products do are considerable. So, you know, 6% of the UK potato crop, it goes to one company, PepsiCo, for Walker's crisps. Now, is that a sensible use? of land, water, soil and energy, 6%. A further 24% last year went to McCain's that make frozen chips. Is that a sensible use of, and the preservation techniques of it? So 30% of the UK potato crop goes to make something that isn't as nutritious as potatoes and that uses up land, water, soils and energy. And I think the most shocking one I know of is the use of water. Incidentally, the United Nations say that by 2025, which is whatever, less than five years away, there will be 1.8 billion people in the world living with absolute water scarcity. Absolute water scarcity. I mean, there's no water at all. 
and two-thirds of the world's population will be living in water-stressed regions. And before we get complacent about that, that includes London and the southeast of England. East Anglia, incidentally, is entering well into its second decade of being classed as semi-arid. And yet in 2012, there's been an estimate that Coca-Cola's water consumption was more than that required for the daily requirements of over 2 billion people. They also spent £100 million on sponsoring the London Olympics. What the story in Seeds touches on in the sort of mad metaphor sort of connection, and it's a terrible crisis yep. in the sense it's a siege, and there is genuine, obviously, malnutrition and starvation, and that's the sort of context that happens in. Obviously, for a system in a situation like ours to get to that point, it would be sort of beyond catastrophic and therefore quite unlikely. I, I think we could be facing something much more catastrophic. I don't think people realise just how close to a, a catastrophe we, we are in terms of the environment and how dependent the world's population is on cereal crops. Um, and if there is, um, you know, a pathogen, uh, wheatgrass, for example, um, and let's say it happens at the same time as another blight on another staple crop, I mean, it could do extreme weather events can cause these things. And let's say we had a drop in cereal production of, I don't know, 6 10%. That will cause major social disruption across the world. And you can argue that what we're seeing now politically is the geopolitics of climate change playing out. And it's the geopolitics of food playing out. And I don't make the assumption that we'll be all right. We'll just have to make a few minor tweaks. And it's the reason I do what I do is because I think the advantage of being old um, is that you've got time to think about these things and it isn't as frightening. It isn't as frightening because you kind of have a historical thing. Hunger is a human condition throughout every wild animal, every animal at some point or other has suffers hunger. The fact that you haven't and I haven't in our lifetime, in my lifetime, the fact that in this country people haven't been hungry since the war, that's the aberration. That's, that's the aberration. Are we going to experience hunger? We're suffering malnutrition, that's for sure, already. A significant proportion of people in this country are suffering malnutrition. And it's a political reason why. It's because we're not doing X and we're not doing Y. In particular, we're not controlling the corporations. Remember, corporations are artificial constructs. They're super intelligences. They're amoral, not immoral. So don't blame them. They're amoral super intelligences. And unless we control them, they will dominate. We are able to, through, you know, organisations and systems like seed banking, obviously there are there are things that we are doing and can do to obviously to, 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 to answer that problem. So I just guess just spinning it around to the hope <laughs> side and also the sort of like, so there is, there is incredible things that we are able to do and we are doing right we are, now. We are doing a lot of things, but I, I still say we're not, we're not doing the, the things that really matter. 
and this idea mm. that somehow or other you've got to behave differently and I've got to behave differently. I mean, I had a uh, an email round this morning wanting me to attend some webinar about the ethics of the ethics of my food choices. Well, you know, come on. That's not the issue. The issue is the ethics is is the ethics of a of individual men and women who are are political, powerful people who are not controlling these artificial intelligences called corporations. Control them, and we've got more hope. Um, and and it is within our power. And I also think that you know you can argue that science and scientific endeavour has got us into this pickle we're in now, where there's far too many of us and. You know, we're eating our way out of our niche. Uh, but it sounds like we can get us out of it. And the other thing to remember, that in terms of the world's population, it's a temporary blip. It's a temporary thing. By 2050, the world population is going to be start dropping quite dramatically. So somehow or other, we've got to engineer our way over the next 30 or 40 years. And then it'll start getting easier. And I think that's worth remembering, is that this is not going to go on forever. We might have, we we might tip it over so that you know, it it is some kind of apocalyptical time. On the other hand, we might not, and it is going to get easier. So I, I mean, I fear for my children and my grandchildren, but actually, my grandchildren may be middle-aged in a much better world it's what i work it's what i work towards yeah when it, and we're just we just come to an hour of, of recorded time which is which is which is brilliant and probably any more will make it slightly harder for me to both a bleak but also inspiring call to arms for all of us thank you for listening to our second episode of planting the seed and thank you of course to kate cooper of the birmingham food council You can find out more about their work, including their submissions to government select committees and inquiries, including their recent work on building up the UK's buffer stocks to protect against future shortages, their various other policy discussions and blog posts, and also details on their brilliant scenarios exercise, The Game, which guides key industry and policymakers from the food industry through future hypothetical problems and their potential solutions, all on their website, birminghamfoodcouncil.org. You can, of course, listen to Seeds on our website, nostonefish.com, or on iTunes and Spotify or your preferred podcast app. Please help us reach even more listeners by subscribing, sharing with your friends and family, and following us on our social media channels, at No Stone Theatre. Or you can join our mailing list, where you can also find more exclusive content like this interview, as well as more info about us and how we made the series. Seeds is a No Stone Theatre production, and was made possible with funding from Arts Council England.